Hey everyone, Misaligned is back this week and last week I mentioned that I would be having on a special guest and his name is Keith Rawson. He is a former music fanzine guy and he is now getting ready to release a novel. Keith, how are you doing today? I'm a little sick, but otherwise I'm hanging in, doing awesome. Nice. And I sort of just want to start today with the punk zine and then we'll get on to your book because your book isn't out until February 21st and this podcast will be out before the book. So I don't want to spoil the book for anyone out there because you guys haven't had the chance to read it yet. Right, right. But Avow is your punk zine that you had started. So can you sort of tell me how you got the idea for that and when you really started getting that going? Yeah, I uh, I started it um, when I was in art school in the mid '90s, um, and it was just you know growing up in punk, and uh, it was just like it was like if you sucked at music, which I wholeheartedly do, this is kind <laughs> of the next step that you did, you know? Right. And uh, and I had a much more like uh, a, a much a much better writer and illustrator than I am a musician, so that's just where I went. And uh, a buddy and I started it in art school and it was a weird merging of like punk and poetry okay. issues because like I was really into like the small press and stuff and uh each faction just fucking loathed the other you know <laughs> so um but eventually I sort of moved into more like fiction stuff as a reader and a writer and so poetry took a backseat and so then it just sort of evolved into this like catch-all of like illustration and anecdotal stuff and just a much more like you know like perzine sort of thing by issue nine or so of course and was every issue sort of the same format or did you sort of just do whatever came to you whether it was these subtle record reviews or comics related to punk did you have a specific format for each issue or did you sort of just make it a more free-flowing thing yeah, it definitely was a like, where is my inspiration right now? And so it would it would generally be like, cool, I got a bunch of like, like, uh, again, like personal pieces or like I shudder to call them essays, but, you know, like personal recollections. And then the next issue will be like, here's an alphabet issue, uh, purely art related. So it'll be A is for and then there'll be an illustration that has to do with the letter A. And so right. I do like weird alphabet issues like that. So. And then there'd be issues where it was just like, I just hustle up contributions from my friends, you know? So it was really all over the map. Yeah. And how did you sell the zine? Was it something you could get a physical copy of or did you sort of stick to digital for no, the this release? Is all like, this is like pre, I mean, as a woefully, uh, like just trying to get on Skype and shit, you know, this was a... <laughs> polarity um so no this is all print stuff for the most part okay this was back when there was like you know um pretty like zines were like distributed by a lot of like larger distributors and even like tower records carried it for a while back when we still had tower records you know yeah Um, so yeah it was just distributed through big and small distributors and um zine distros Nice. And punk zines aren't really something, or zines in general, I should say, aren't really something we see today. Do you feel like there's just not really the same sort of place for those now that we have the internet being such a big part of the music scene? Yeah, I think, uh, for one, it's like, um, 
a lot of people enjoy the immediacy of just posting it uh, digitally and boom, it's out there, you know? Right. Um, and that makes a lot of sense. I can totally understand that, you know? Um, and it's a lot more available to everybody versus like trying to track down particular issues of a print scene can be a little daunting, you know? Yeah. And you don't have to worry about the same logistics when you're doing a digital format instead of, you know, trying to make sure, okay, we need X amount of copies printed up because we know this many people are definitely exactly. going to buy a copy. And then you still need extras just in case other people hear about it. Right. And I think it's something sort of similar to what we're seeing with vinyl now. It's sort of really hard to judge how many copies a record will sell. So oftentimes we're seeing these second, third, even sometimes fourth pressings of yeah. albums because they're doing so much better than labels initially thought they would. Did you ever get that with your zine or was it something where you sort of had a handle on generally how many copies you needed for each issue? Well, that's hilarious because both, uh, not so much with the zine, but with bands I was in, mm -hmm. we had the opposite issue where it's like, oh God, we are still sitting on a couple hundred copies of the seven inch. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I have about 150 CDs sitting in my room for my label, go. so I totally understand. And that's just from yeah. one band. <laughs> right, right, yeah. But I think with, yeah, the print stuff, like, uh, a lot of uh, folks in um, Asia had a, have a cool thing where, like, just shipping is so crazy for American scenes, but there's, like, a, a really big uh, interest there. And a lot of times, like, you don't make money off scenes, you know what I mean? Like, right. Um, so what they'll request a lot of times is uh, Zine Distros there will just ask for flat copies and you just mail them a single copy and then they can just copy it at their whim, you know, as they yeah. need it. And like, that's great if you're solely interested in the message and not interested in like, you know, making money or anything, which again, there's not a whole lot of money in Zines and there never really was. So Yeah. And how would you find out about new punk bands to cover in your zine or did you sort of stick to some of the bands you already knew was there any aspect of sort of i guess music discovery with your zine dude i feel i swear to god i feel like i'm fucking ancient saying <laughs> i was on a lot of like mailing lists for labels, yeah. and so they had no compunction about just like even if it was a small zine like mine with a few hundred copies or a thousand copies or whatever they just send you all their new releases as they came out, you know? Right. Um, and so given the like shrinking quantity of zines and uh, like vinyl and stuff being pressed a lot of times, that doesn't really happen anymore. Yeah, it's it's definitely rare to even get physical copies of anything sent exactly. out to you. Right, right. Totally. And even though vinyl is making a huge comeback, especially sort of in the punk pop punk mm -hmm. and rock sort of scenes there a lot of times because of the internet now obviously albums leak much faster than they used to so totally. i think a lot of people don't even want you to have a digital download sometimes a lot of times i'll just get a stream mm -hmm. and while there are ways to you know record the stream on your computer or anything i would never do that to a band because as someone who majored in music industry and runs a label and a music website it's like that just seems like the dumbest thing i could possibly do <laughs> to yeah, any totally. band there's like um like i write reviews for razor cake in la 
and they're like super staunch about like we need physical copies with complete artwork or we're not going to review it right i think that's fair to reviewers yeah definitely and i mean when i was working with the band that i printed cds for we sent physical CDs out to radio stations, because I know a lot of radio stations do like having a physical copy because not everyone has, I guess, digitized their systems. I know when I was at Drexel, I went down to the radio station. I never completed my test all the way, but I did do like my first on-air run, basically. And they had it, they still had it to where you could play a record or play a song off a record or, you know, have CDs. But I went the digital route because I was like, this is easier and I'm less likely to screw it up. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. But as far as reviewing goes, I think that's like, uh, man, if you can, just always send the physical, you know? Yeah. And as someone who runs a label, like I said, it's sort of hard to know if they only want a physical now, if it's vinyl and no one wants CDs, because personally on my laptop, there's no CD drive anymore. So for sending CDs, it's kind of, I feel like it's kind of hit or miss that way. Because if a lot of places were sending me CDs, they would literally just be stacked up in my room and I would have no way of listening to them other than in my car. And since I don't have a job, I'm not in my car all that often to begin (laughs) with now. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, uh, I run a tape label and like, I love CDs. Like to me, there's no like wrong format, you know? Right. And you mentioned writing for that site in LA. Where are you personally based out of? I'm in Portland. Okay. Hence why your upcoming book is taking place in Oregon, I bet. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, it's actually a fictionalized, uh, the town that it takes place in, Riptide. Yeah. Essentially, it's a slightly fictionalized version of my hometown, my coastal hometown that I grew up in as a kid. Nice. And before we move on to talking about the book a bit, being in Portland, is there a big music scene there? I know there are obviously venues as there are in pretty much any major city you go to, but is there any sort of scene forming? I feel like a lot of writers live up in the Portland area, actually, but I don't know about bands. <laughs> it's a, I mean, it's a huge, thriving I'm most familiar with the punk scene here and it's massive and and thriving and doing rad tons of bands, tons of venues. Um, And I don't know, I don't know if I would say tons of venues, but like there's a significant number of them. Um, So we're doing pretty good here. Yeah. And I'm down in Orange County, which as you probably know, is just south of LA. So there mm-hmm. is definitely no shortage of venues out here. Right. The only thing is for me personally, I am less likely to want to drive up to LA during the week to go to a show just because I know it's going to take me probably two hours to get to the show. And yeah. it's just sort of more of a hassle than it's worth. But down in Orange County, you know, there's a house of blues down here. We have chain reaction the observatory has been doing a ton of great shows lately. So it's like, even though I'm not specifically in the LA area in the big city, so to speak, there's still plenty of a music scene that extends down to orange County. So I feel like, you know, while I'm not going to a ton of these big LA shows or even a bunch of the smaller ones, I still get exposed to a good amount of new bands. I don't know if you've heard of, 
a skate shop down here. It's called Program Skate and Sound. They do a ton of like punk and hardcore shows. No, that's awesome. And basically what they do is they clear the floor of the store. There's no stage, no nothing. They just sort of push all the merchandise aside and then the band sets up at one end and everyone else stands in between the band and the door. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So it's definitely like a very DIY scene, especially at that place and it's sort of really cool to see all of these bands that come through there because they'll have a lot of out-of-state bands come through and play there because i feel like a lot of times smaller bands from out of state can't get gigs in la necessarily because they want to make sure you're going to bring people out and sell x amount of tickets and i feel like some venues just have too many restrictions basically for certain bands to sort of build a fan base out here yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, for us here, I feel like a lot of it is uh, the cost of living and influx of new money is just getting so, uh, it's just blowing up here still. And we have like a housing shortage. And um, so a lot of the older venues are like the owners are upping the rent or not, you know, people can't afford to renew their lease. So a lot of venues are just getting priced out. Um, so like one of our like, best known venues here than no is uh they weren't able to renew their lease because of a uh price increase i think and they uh or the owner sold the building or whatever and now it's uh a artisanal salt shop i don't know how much <laughs> how much money that shop will make but that sounds yeah, I mean, interesting it's apparently sustainable because yeah they're uh shit's getting really boutique and wild here you know yeah and I definitely understand where you're coming from with the venues because out here, House of Blues on Sunset Boulevard closed and then the House of Blues that was in downtown Disney had to move out of downtown Disney, but they only moved across the street, I believe. So they uh -huh. didn't go very far and they at least reopened. But when House of Blues on Sunset shut down, a lot of people were very surprised by that just because, you know, you can go to Chicago and go to House of Blues. You know, House of Blues is kind of everywhere as far right. as music venues go and big city sort of thing. So it was a surprise to a lot of people. And I don't even know if there was ever a an exact reason for the closing, mm -hmm. but it's one of those things where you're just kind of bummed out about it. And, you know, there's not going to be another venue like that to pop up, basically. Right. Oh, uh, somebody... Uh, I just realized it. I looked it up. Uh, apparently, the I was totally wrong about the artisanal salt shop. It's actually <laughs> going to be a high-end. The owner has sold the building or whatever and is now putting in a high-end punk club. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know what that is going to entail. Um, so apparently, initially, it was going to be a salt shop, and now it's going to be a more upper-class punk venue. So, because anyway. that's a thing. Yeah, sure. <laughs> You're like, all right, we'll 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 see how this goes, guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So going off of Oregon, then your book that you have coming out on the 21st is The Mercy of the Tide. And one of your characters in the book has an extensive, not necessarily punk 
background, but an extensive love for punk music. I'm only admittedly 50 pages into the book, which will definitely be finished by the time everyone else hears this. This always uh-huh. happens to me. I record something and I'm like, I haven't finished it. <laughs> but by the time you hear this, I would have. Right, right. So and I've really been enjoying it so far. But what was the inspiration behind that character? It's Sam, correct? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Honestly, like the the book take pl- takes place in 1983 and 1984, and so um, clearly, like growing up in like rural Oregon in the 80s, like he's not going to be privy to um, a lot of like you know like uh, crazy uh, Japanese punk from the year before or whatever. You know what I mean? Like he's gonna right. He's going to know the like Sex Pistols and the Dead Kennedys and the Misfits and all that. Cause like, even those uh, bands were like hard to come by in the eighties, you know, if you're like uh, some kid in the middle of nowhere. Um, yeah. But honestly, I think his, like the impetus for, uh, for the whole book was like, I started to tell a story that is set in a uh, present day and I don't want to give too much away, but like, um, <laughs> I kept having to be like, well, why are things like this, like this particular aspect of the story? And so I kept having to backtrack right? and be like, okay, well, it actually starts here. This guy actually is doing this because of this. So then I just realized that there's a whole other story that I had to tell to like establish a base. And so that's how this book started. It was like, I pretty much wrote half a book and was like, this isn't working. I need to start at the beginning. (laughs) Yeah, and as someone who had already done a punk scene, and even though that had a lot of illustration in it, you mentioned the poetry aspect and starting to write fiction more in general. Is that sort of what led you to doing a full-on novel? Yeah, you know, this is actually, um, I love hearing stories about writers where, like, I heard one, or I read an interview with one guy where he wrote... I think seven novels before his agent finally sold one. And, uh, so this is my, uh, I think this is my fifth, my fourth novel that I wrote, uh, since I was 20. Okay. Um, So it took a while, you know what I mean? Um, and I've always been into fiction writing, but, uh, I've also been like into a lot of different things. And so a lot of, uh, for many years, I lacked focus, and I would bounce from like painting to illustration to poetry to yada yada. And it's only within the last like six or seven years that it's like painting, or I'm sorry, writing and uh, like illustration are like I've narrowed it down. So thank God. <laughs> I definitely understand that feeling because, like I mentioned, with the label, the website, podcasting, I'm mm-hmm. sort of just trying to do as much as I can while yeah. I can, and then once I get at least one or two of those things going, then maybe I'll start to focus solely on those things. But with all the time I have, I'm not too worried about it right now. But you mentioned this being your fourth book. Is this the first book that you've had a publisher get behind and really push it out there? Exactly. That's the thing. Is it's my first, it's my debut novel, but it's the fourth one that I've written. Um, right. And the, that, uh, Meerkat Press, my publisher, is putting out in next January called uh, Smoke City. That's actually the book that I wrote before this one. Okay. So just one of those weird things that happens, you know? Yeah, it's funny how that works out. So the books you wrote before this, other than the one that you said they'll be publishing later, 
Yeah. Are those anywhere online? Did you try to sell them yourself or did you sort of just not get any response and keep them to yourself? (laughs) Yeah. The first one I wrote, it was like horrid. Uh, I was funny. (laughs) Didn't really know. You know, like try. But um, and then the next one, I think I was probably 25 and I wrote it and it was pretty bloated. I think it was like 140,000 words, which is just, I don't know. Some people can pull that off. I couldn't. And I got a, uh, it was back when you had to submit um, by uh, post. Okay. Uh, you had to submit to agents. And so I, th- I got one agent who asked for a partial, which is like the first hundred pages of a manuscript. Right. And then she passed on it. And uh, yeah, so that one never really went any- anywhere either. So. Yeah. Well, it's awesome to see your work finally get noticed by a publisher and sort of get that out because you've clearly put a lot of time into your craft. Right, right. Yeah. I just got the box of like uh box of books from the publisher today and they're like beautiful and they look nice and it's uh it's a very cool moment to like uh hold something like that in your hand that someone else is like believes in enough to take a risk on, you know, like putting out records and stuff. Yeah, like, definitely. It's a huge honor. And that's funny because I just got my physical copy of it today as well. I had read those initial 50 pages on my Kindle, but you know, when Uh we were setting this up, I had asked if I could get a physical copy sort of just to really see the book and how it turned out because I've noticed that sometimes when you get advanced copies of things on Kindle, it doesn't really look quite how it's supposed to just because, you know, formatting hasn't been finalized or whatever. I get a bunch and it's like, I don't even have a table of contents in there. So I'm like, how long is this book? (laughs) You know, but, you know, I I definitely agree. I can still smell the ink from the book (laughs) and from the little coaster that was sent along with it, which is for the Sandy Bottom, which is a really cool marketing thing to do, too. Yeah, that was, that's like the bar that's in the book. And um, so we thought it was a fun little, uh, we kicked around some various like promo ideas. Um, yeah. We're going to do uh, matchbooks and then it's like, I don't think you can send those through the mail. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they would let you do that. Yeah. So we stuck with coasters. It was pretty cute. Yeah. And it's funny because as soon as I opened the package, I was like, wow, these were freshly printed and sent out because my dad used to work at a screen printing company. So he Uh would come home with like vinyl posters from customers. He's come home with skateboard decks. And it's like, I know that screen printing smell very well now. And I opened it. I was like, "Ooh, nice and freshly printed. Uh Going back to Oregon the uh-huh. real one here real quick you mentioned there being a big punk scene there are there any bands you can think of off the top of your head that you would recommend people check out oh my gosh putting um, you on the spot here <laughs> yeah i let's see i can rec- recommend a couple labels how about that that works as well the first one that comes to mind is uh dirt cult and okay. uh, the guy who runs Dirt Cult uh, is also in a terrific, terrific band called Macho Boys. And so Dirt Cult Records, uh, they put out a ton of amazing local stuff, international stuff. That's an awesome label. Um, and then my buddy John does a um, tape label called Rose Quarter Records. And they're also putting out uh, a lot of local and non-local great stuff and he just started a band um that is going to play 
their first show on the 25th uh, here nice. in Portland. And I cannot remember their new band name, but like he was in North Lincoln and uh, other guys were in uh, Young Livers and Glass and Ashes. So that it'll be a good that'll be a good show for sure. Unfortunately, it's the same night as my book launch. But other people <laughs> of <should>. course. <laughs> Yeah, and that's awesome that you're so in tune with the punk scene, even though you aren't doing the zine anymore. I wouldn't say I'm that in tune. I'm like, <laughs> I'm pretty much a homebody these days, but yeah. sometimes I go out. Yeah, and obviously punk, I wouldn't say it's necessarily evolved a lot, but there are a lot of differences between, you know, the punk bands that you mentioned of the eighties that were still sort of hard to come by if you weren't in cities like New York or London. So the sex pistols and we don't really see bands like that anymore, but we still get these raw punk bands. Do you have any ideas as to why that is basically? Why we get, I guess I'm not sure what you mean. Well, it's just like when we think about punk bands today, it, they don't necessarily seem as iconic or anything like mm. the clash and the sex pistols were and right. the Ramones and all of that. Now it's more of a local scene. Obviously down here in LA, we still have, you know, bad religion cranking out albums, right. but they don't seem to have the same effect that punk bands had in the seventies and early eighties is, do you think it's just because of how much the world has changed? There's not, quite as much to rebel know. against in a bigger sense like they used to um i don't know because well i think if anything in the past two months we've got oodles this of is true <laughs> but um i mean i think a lot of it is just uh there's such a, a massive influx of bands in the past 40 years that you know the first like three dozen bands it was just like what in god's name is happening right but you have time to expand on that and over decades, you know, of exploration. And uh, so I think a lot of it is just like a saturation of bands. But also, I think there are a lot of bands that are um, uh, that can still do really solid stuff. Um, and whether that's politically or just musically, um, I don't really like I kind of get. I understand the people that are like, oh, man, there hasn't been a, a good band since Reagan youth or whatever. <laughs> but also, I think there's like amazing people are doing amazing shit now, you know? Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. I have really been enjoying the new album from the Menzingers, and they're sort of one of the punk bands that I've really stuck with their last few releases. Uh -huh. And I think also because of the fact that punk really got big in the 70s and 80s, I don't know if it's ever going to have necessarily that same impact because the 70s and 80s were basically the heyday for punk bands. And it was such a new and different thing that people didn't really know what to do about it. But I think now that we've had so many years, like you said, decades upon decades of punk music, it's sort mm -hmm. of that feeling has tapered out, I guess you could say. Yeah, I guess. Um, and I mean, you could say the same thing with like virtually any movement, you know? Right. Um, but in transversely, it's, it's cool then because like uh, the people that are here definitely want to be here, you know? Yeah. And I think that's one of the cool things, like I mentioned about program. It's like, yes, you're only getting maybe 30 kids at a show, 
but Mm -hmm. these are the ones who want to be here and these are the ones who are going to work as hard as you are to get your music out to everyone else because word of mouth is still such a huge marketing tool for bands basically Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah um yeah and i think that there's again there's like uh for me personally um my first show ever was going to be the exploited and typo negative at some huge like uh venue in portland and then the dude from the exploited overdosed on heroin that day so he was in the hospital right and uh so we didn't get to go to that show so my next show instead was a three dollar four band uh affair at a coffee shop um and i was like a teenager and it was so fun and there was a dude uh on ecstasy who just swung a glow stick around on a string the entire fucking show and a girl like a college girl invited me to a party and it was just like so vastly different than the like screaming terrifying meathead marathon a typo negative show would have been and i'm like still profoundly grateful for like diy and smaller shows you know Yeah, definitely. And I guess thinking about it now, obviously, Green Day is probably the main, so to speak, punk band out there. And I know Uh that you've done some design and illustration work for them. What specifically had you worked on for them? And when was that? I've just done uh, a couple uh, shirt designs for them over the years. Yeah. So nothing big. Um, Still cool, though. (laughs) Yeah, that's very cool. It's, it's super cool. I got initially, um, I did some stuff for uh, Adeline Records, which is a record label that they run with their manager. Yeah. And um, so then he sort of looked over my stuff and he's thrown me some work here and there. Like I did stuff for, he manages a couple different bands. So I've been able to get work that way. So Nice. And is that something you're still doing today and sort of still involved in the music scene? Yeah. I mean, that's how, like I have, two jobs and one of them is I work in a literacy program in an elementary school and the other one is I do um illustration and design work for bands like doing shirts and album design and stuff like that so um yeah I'm still it's help it pays the bills you know what I mean yeah so is it safe to assume then that you designed your own book cover and everything too since that's such a big part of what you do yeah thankfully uh meerkat was was cool at that I know especially the major publishers wouldn't let uh, generally wouldn't let an author touch their own book design with a 10 foot pole. Like they have right. departments for stuff, but that's, I gotta say like the one thing um, it's dorky here to, to sort of give a shout out to the publisher, but Trisha uh, who runs Meerkat has just been like uh, awesome as far as it's a small press trying to get shit done. And uh, they've just hustled so hard and uh, been ceaselessly like, promoting it and taking risks and it's just it's a very cool uh chance for a first-time author to have like they're really working it yeah definitely and even something as simple as setting up this interview here it was like quite a breeze between trisha just adding you onto the email and getting everything scheduled so you know i can always appreciate that as well (laughs) yeah yeah she's really um I think this is pretty sure that Meerkat has done a couple anthologies. Um, this was the first novel that they've taken on. And they've since, like, 
they have the next like two years booked out with authors and stuff, but this was the first one that they did. And like, uh, just pro like pro all the way. It's been so great. Yeah. And you can definitely tell that they've put a lot of time and effort into it because like I mentioned, the little coasters and everything they put together and just the book itself, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's completely professional. It's definitely not sort of looking like a DIY type of project there. Yeah. And they had like, they, um, they hired a really uh, a really good um, editor. Uh, like Trisha did edits. Another another person at Meerkat did edits, and then they hired like a uh, an editor to um, look at the finer points um, to the point where it drove me insane. You know, I mean? <laughs> like like Fat Albert is mentioned in the like some one of the kids is like watching Fat Albert or something, and and they're like, and it was a Saturday, and um, this person was like, I can't find an in any of my research that uh fat albert actually aired on saturday and i'm just like jesus christ (laughs) but in retrospect i'm like all right that's legit like they're looking over every detail and they're doing a rad job you know yeah and fact checking is such a huge part of book publishing that i think a lot of people don't even realize especially when i'm sure as you know when you have music books that are being put out and you're sort of grabbing from all of these different resources and trying to get the history of a specific band down, even it's like, okay, did all of these things actually happen on the days you're saying they happened? And are these the actual people who were there? And it's just probably, I wouldn't say it's a nightmare for the editors because they have to know going into the project that they're going to have to fact check all of these things but it's just amazing to me how much goes into actually getting a book out there because a lot of times people are like well just write something and release it and you know that's that (laughs) yeah and i i mean part of me was like because um uh i again i don't want to give too much away but this is an alternate history novel and so you'll start to like read it and pick up on like oh that's a little different oh that's a little different um and so part of like half of me was just like give me a break it's fine it's an alternate history novel that's fine that's why it's different um which is fine to a point but it's also like you have to be willful in those decisions and not just be sloppy about it you know yeah and with fiction i feel like you have a little more leeway there because i don't know if you read stephen king or have read any of his books but when you have a book like 11-22-63 and you're saving JFK instead of having him be shot, obviously you're just altering history altogether and time traveling in the first place. So, you know, spoiler yeah. for anyone who has not read or watched the Hulu show. <laughs> right. Yeah, we actually tried to um, uh, send him a uh, promo copy for a blurb, but um, sent it to his... Uh, um, his folks, but never heard anything. So, <laughs> you know, well, you tried. Yeah, we tried. It's, it's like, uh, somewhere in his pile somewhere or in a bookstore nearby or, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You just fling it out in the world and you see what happens to it. So. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think that's about all I have for you today, obviously with the book not being out just yet. We can't go too in depth on that, but I'm definitely looking forward to checking that out. So I just want to Thank you so much for coming on. It's definitely been fun talking to you. Awesome. Thank you so much for the opportunity. This was my first podcast and I had a blast. Thank you. Awesome. Happy to be your first podcast. And to our listeners, as always, thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.